Who's this? The Fungus Army? Ah, oh, man. Some what do we got here? Oh, all right. Here we go. Because Chris Vasquez is sitting <laughs> in for the uh, birthday boy, uh, Scott Harris. Scott's birthday was yesterday. But uh, he's enjoying a well-deserved day off uh, today to continue to celebrate his uh, birthday. We always enjoy Chris's presence. And he's in a giddy mood today because the Cowboys will get to that a little bit. But baby. we always um, love the... Uh, wide music library that Chris uh, chooses from. He has free use of the music library, or then some. So. Except on Double Shot Tuesday. Except on Double Shot Tuesday. So, uh, Welcome, Chris. Glad you're here. I'm glad to be here, Mark. Uh, it is a Monday for some, uh, off today because of a Columbus Day for others. You're out and about working, doing your normal stuff. I'm glad you're hanging out there with us. we got a Really busy and fun show to get to today on this uh, Monday. Uh, gosh, so many things to talk about college football the weekend that was. The NFL, a very interesting day yesterday with some controversial calls, fantastic finishes, a typical week in the NFL. Um, and Orlando City with a dramatic second half. They beat Columbus to get to the playoffs. Uh, we'll talk about that. Miguel Guillardo is going to be on with us a little bit later in uh, the program. And a great high school football story that I, I think needs to be told that we actually heard a little bit about on Friday when J.C. Carnahan, the Orlando Sentinel, was on with us talking about high school football. And uh, we're going to have a coach of a team that didn't just have a big win, but uh, then uh, showed a big heart. And we'll get to all that coming up a little bit uh, later. I don't even know where to start, Chris. I mean, I I, I, I could talk about how giddy I was yesterday morning. Because you know what was interesting about me watching the Giants yesterday? So, uh, by habit... Over the last whatever number of years, I don't watch a game start to finish because of red zone, unless it's been a Sunday night or Monday night. Mm -hmm. And just by the habit of what I do, like my Sunday, like everybody has things they do on certain days of the week. So, So my Sunday, outside of being a husband and father and daddy do list and things like that, is... uh recap the recent UCF game, prepare for the next game, but because UCF plays on Thursday, Sunday's like a different prep day and everything, or Monday night, I got a touchdown club meeting. So I watch, but it's not as glued. Yeah. But I watch every single play of the Giant game yesterday, and I'm taking notes, not for today, show, just for myself, and I loved it. It was great. <laughs> there were no other games on for me to worry about, because even if the Giants are on you know, the Fox game or playing the Cowboys or Eagles. I'm still going to click over to see other stuff, but I watch everything. It was great. And, and the game is, now Tottenham is the team I love in the English Premier League, and that stadium is packed. It, it, it's kind of like a Super Bowl atmosphere. It's mm-hmm. weird and, you know, fans all over the place. And there were a lot more Packer fans than Giant fans. And, you know, it kind of has that feeling like uh, the Giants are not going to win today. And, Rodgers is just doing his thing. And, and he, at 20 to 10, I'm like, ah. and all of a sudden, the second half, the Giants, Daniel Jones is moving the ball. He's limping out there, and they got to get crazy by going wild night and, or wildcat. Wild <laughs> um, and, and all of a sudden, the defense, like, wait a minute, you know? But here comes Rodgers, the final drive. He's like, all right, whatever. This is just be easy. I don't care. Is my ding, 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 ding down the field. And then all of a sudden, the Giants make this stand. And like Aaron Rodgers, it looked like, you're not allowed to knock down my passes. What are you doing? Um, and, and yet, Giants have to run the ball to the end zone. And then you got a free kick after the safety. You're thinking, oh, God, Rodgers. And, and, and then, you know, they've shown you clips of Hail Marys that happened against the Giants the playoff game years ago. And 
what a big win, you know? And, and all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah. And then when your team's already won before the rest of the day begins, wow, what a feeling. <laughs> you know, it's like UCF won on Wednesday before the weekend, and you're like, well, my team won. How'd your team do? But, yeah, that was fun. Your uh, your 15-2 and two prediction's looking pretty good right now for the Giants. Look, I don't... Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I still do not believe the Giants are one of the better teams in the NFL, but I'll enjoy the moment, and I will say that the pride and tradition of the NFC East, the greatest division in football, Absolutely. is back. Even though I hate everybody else, but... Uh, 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 it's uh, it's back. So that was it was fun to watch. That we're going to get to all the other interesting stories and controversies of the NFL uh, Sunday. Yes, I did leave Gabe Davis on my bench. Mm. Like again, wait, wait. The last three weeks didn't play two point six points. I, you know, I, I. But it's all I. Barring, like I said, a 70-point night for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think I'll be okay to win the week. Nobody cares about my fantasy team, but I'm in that group, too, that left, of all people, me, to, to, to not start game. And as great as the first touchdown was, the second one, yeah, I was even the better. one-handed yeah. grab, where it's almost stripped from him that he strips it back, that's the that's the more impressive catch. Oh, I mean, absolutely. 98 yards, 90 yards, but he gets past the secondary, and he's gone. But the second catch, that's an incredible catch. I just picture you calling the Gabe Davis 98-yard touchdown with a boom at the end of it. Wow. Good for Gabe. Man, is he going to bank some coin when that contract uh, comes up? Uh, So that was great for him. Um, You had the Orlando City drama of them getting two goals, uh, the penalty kick, the bizarre substitution, no substitution, lay the hang on and win. They do make the playoffs, so that's great there. Um, let's see, we had the Mets checking the ear of a Padre pitcher because of a substance they thought was on it. And uh, and then, I'm sorry, when you're down 4 nothing in the 8th and you bring your closer out and you play the trumpets because, well, you do it every time, it just looks silly. And then when it's 6 nothing, but anyway, uh, Padres beat the Mets. Love it. And uh, another big market team is gone. Love it. ESPN was among those that pushed for the extra round, and the big market teams are out. <laughs> Cardinals are out. Mets are out. Um, and on to the divisional series uh, that we get in Major League Baseball. So, anyway, how was your weekend? You doing all right? Uh, weekend was good. We celebrated Oktoberfest out in Avalon Park on Saturday. Okay. So we got slammed. In, in the month of October. Yeah, because my daughters went to an Oktoberfest the last weekend in September. And they understand that. Yeah, it's kind of like going to Halloween Horror Nights in September. Yeah, but I'm okay with that. They've been doing that. But yeah, we celebrated uh, Oktoberfest Saturday and then Sunday from 1 o'clock to the end of the Cowboys game. I was either in the pool or in front of the TV watching watching my boys. All right. That was uh, it was a big win for uh, Dallas and the Rams. Uh, wow. If you're, if you're Matthew Stafford... I mean, I'd huddle just to go, hey, did I do something to tick you guys <laughs> off or, or, or what? I mean, I thought we won this thing together last year. I know one of our old guys retired, but um, can I get a little help back here? Now, the Cowboys have a great front seven. Um, but Stafford, that dude was running for his life yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big... Got a right to go, hey, come on now, help out. I'm not a big jersey guy, but I think I'm going to get a Micah Parsons jersey. Guy is such a stud. Wait, so that makes you want to buy a jersey? 
How good he is, yeah. Is that what it is? Because I don't buy jerseys. I don't either. But how good he is, uh-huh. I'd buy a jersey. That's a good question to ask people. What is it that makes the emotional move to buy the jersey? So you're saying it took a performance against the Rams in early October. No, it's what he's done so far. Right. I mean, this year, and the, last year. And the Cowboys have the 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 greatest quarterback story uh, to argue now because, like Bianchi said, when you bring back Dak Prescott, whenever Jerry says so, you know, even though Cooper Rush was not the reason the Cowboys won yesterday. He didn't do anything spectacular no. at all. It was the Cowboy defense that uh, was the key. He did what he was asked to do, not turn the ball over. Right. All right. Um, so uh, we're going to get to... The NFL in just a little bit. We come back, though. Some things out of the college football weekend. I have a column up at 96 in the game.com. I'm not saying the refs rigged it for Alabama. I just want you to read the column that even though I believe there was pass interference in the final play in the game against Texas A&M, it was never going to be called. And you can read why I say that. But we'll get to the weekend that was in college football, uh, plus the terrible call in the Buck game and some of the other things in the NFL. It's a busy Monday show. Glad you were with us. We're back on the Beat of Sports. The Beat of Sports, Mark Daniels on this Monday. Brought to you by a friend's of Poor Choice Tap House in the Mills 50 District, 1225 Mills Avenue. You can stop by and visit 50 Taps, one place, endless possibilities. Visit them at poorchoicetaproom.com for more details. They'll do a UCF uh, watch party uh, next weekend when the Knights are on the road at East Carolina. Uh, you can check them out. Follow them on all their social media platforms. So, um, college football weekend. A lot of interesting storylines around our state first. I said to Mike Bianchi on the bridge about Florida and quarterback Anthony Richardson. Um, And and this is actually a defense, not a criticism, of Anthony uh, Richardson. Anthony Richardson was praised before the season and projected by some as a high first-round draft pick. Heck, some people said he could be the number one pick of the draft, and a lot of so-called draft and quarterback experts thought Anthony Richardson was a first-round draft pick and probably in the first part of the first round. And I felt back in July and August, I thought, wow, okay. I mean, there's some flashes last year, but we haven't really seen enough. And the year started, and Anthony Richardson played okay in Florida's win against Utah. Uh, struggled against a experienced SEC defense in Kentucky. Did not play well against South Florida. Had a good game against Tennessee. I thought they kind of let him almost get out there and play a little playground football where, hey, create on your own. Uh, Eastern Washington, I, I you know, I kind of put that aside, but nonetheless played well there. And against Missouri, I, I didn't think he was very good. Um, in that football game, which Florida wins, but they don't knock your socks off, Richardson is 8 for 14 for 66 yards, and he ran for 45, and I pose this question to Mike Bianchi. Is it possible that Anthony Richardson just isn't as good as people thought he was? That doesn't mean that he can't continue to get better. And by the end of the year, you feel like, okay, um, here's the improvement from game one and four and eight and 12. And 
He comes back in 23 as an experienced quarterback and then makes that next step. Is it possible that he's just not as good as people thought? Maybe. And, again, (laughs) I'm not attacking. I say kid, the young man. Anthony Richardson, halfway through the season, is 56%. 1,182 yards, five touchdowns, seven interceptions. He's rushed for 286 yards and five touchdowns. Now, Florida's got, they got LSU, got shredded defensively. They got Georgia, really good. And then, you know, the backside of Florida's schedule is a number of winnable games. Maybe the next six games statistically will be significantly better for Anthony Richardson. And to say, we'll just double the numbers and that's his season numbers, you know, I'll admit, that's unfair. Maybe he ends up throwing uh, 17 touchdowns and only two more picks, and he has 17 and 9. Maybe he ends up throwing for, instead of the 1,200 first half of the year, he throws for 1,800 the second half of the year. Maybe his completion percentage is 63% instead of what it is now. But right now, the body of work is such that you, I don't know, anybody concludes, other than the six foot four frame, 220 pounds, that there's something there. Because the performance doesn't really show that. I thought in watching this game, Billy Napier didn't have a lot of confidence in their passing game. It's not all on Anthony. It's on a line. It's also on Florida's wide receiving core that needs an upgrade. But I thought Billy Napier in the second half of that game did what Gus Malzahn did against Georgia Tech. That was, hey, I can run the ball and win. And Florida, in a one-possession game that had one guy pick off two balls, including a pick six that was really critical. Uh, Billy Napier ran the ball. And Florida did win, and that's the goal. I think UCF had a more comfortable lead. They led by three scores. Um, and I think Billy Napier did that in this game. A win's a win, and Florida's 4-2, and two, and the body of work, if you're a Gator fan, is probably where it should be. Like, hey, I'm okay, 4-2 and two is what it is. Maybe they end up going 8-4 and four and go to a bowl game. But in Richardson's case, after six games, he's not electrifying you. You got a couple plays that you could pull out. Like I said, the Tennessee game, he did some really cool things, but there was nothing spectacular about Saturday's performance. And, and then Mike brought up, well, what about, he, he wasn't picking on John Rice Plumley, but I said it's a fair question because you want consistency. Even a UCF fan would say, okay, Plumley played well. Last three quarters against SMU, you expect them to play well against Temple this week, and then look at the next couple games, or next three, at East Carolina on the road, home for Cincinnati at Memphis. Yeah, he's got to play at a high level. One was projected to be a first-round draft pick. The other's not. So uh, Florida wins, and you take it, but I'm not quite sure what... He is right now after uh, six games. Quickly, 10 o'clock hour, WYGM Orlando, WJRR, HD2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Leader, Mark Dennis, the Beat of Sports. Uh, all right, Florida State. Before the game, so I always say the story and the journey matters. Before the game, if you're a Florida State fan on the road against a good NC State team, Devin Leary's preseason all ACC quarterback, uh, you're thinking, hey, Tough game. They they lost at Clemson. Florida State lost to an experienced Wake Forest team. Let's see the Seminoles stack up. And even if I tell you before the game, if you're a diehard Seminole fan, hey, they're going to lose by three or, or, or two. You're like, wow, 
I wouldn't be happy, but yeah. Then, though, the journey matters. Florida State's got a 17-3 lead. Devin Leary is out. North Carolina State has a grad transfer from Charleston Southern. They're not trying to throw the ball. He threw one pass. They basically told you, we're as one-dimensional as we could possibly get, and there was no reason for Florida State to lose the game. Two costly interceptions by Jordan Travis. The last one, just take into account, again, how did we get here? You're at the 24-yard line. You've got a chance to run the ball a couple times and then go kick a field goal and win. Except in the back of Mike Nurbell's mind, his kicker, even though he's made a 47-yarder, Ryan Fitzgerald is two for his last six. And even though Mike Nurbell said the right thing after the game of a coach, hey, it's on me, I've got to be, you know, be better and things like that, if you're watching that game and, and you see the camera show Mike Nurbell when Jordan Travis throws it, and again, <clears throat> sometimes you can spend hours analyzing one play. Uh, the defensive back reroutes Micah Pittman. The, the defensive back forces him to cut inside. The ball goes outside. That's what leads to the interception. Uh, Florida State scored earlier on the play in the game. It's a bad throw by Jordan Travis. Interception, Florida State loses, and because they led the way they did, that becomes a painful loss because, again, it's a game that that they're not outclassed. They're not outclassed at all. Now they get Clemson, and we'll see what happens um, this week. Uh, For Miami, can't run. Tyler Van Dyke with a big bounce-back game. And I'm not taking anything away of the numbers, okay? They abandoned the run, and they had to play catch-up. 497 is 497, okay? And the stat sheet looks great, and he should be their quarterback. This is not criticizing him, who at times hadn't played well. But some of the stats are simply because they simply stopped trying to run, and they play catch-up. They're down double uh, possessions. And... Had to throw the ball on every single down with an NC with a UNC defense that coming in was giving up what thirty six points a game, so they got yards because Carolina's been giving up yards, and the fall of expectation for Miami fans, that group that believed just because you hired Mario Cristobal and spent eighty million dollars on a coaching staff, uh, head coach contract, everybody else. Guaranteed wins, not everybody in the Miami fan base, but for that group that said that that pivoted from we got Mario preseason hype to now it's all Manny's fault. Everything's Manny Diaz's fault. Um, Miami's going to win some games. They may end up going seven and five. They may end up heck they could still go eight and four with the schedule. Uh, but a three game losing streak is a three game losing streak, and all of that momentum for this season is gone. Now it's you know. Hopefully they have a good second half of the year so you feel better at the end of the season. But to go back and put you in the spot of being 2-0 and playing Texas A&M to now where they are? Mm. Uh, The column I wrote at 96ofthegame.com, the Monday Notebook. Alabama, Texas A&M. Listen, sometimes you just got to admit, flat out wrong. I thought Alabama with the back of a quarterback, would still beat Texas A&M by three touchdowns. I was wrong. 
absolutely missed it, blew it, just like I think a lot of people did. Alabama made a ton of mistakes, turnovers, penalties, all things uncharacteristic of a Nick Saban coach team. And when you do those things, no matter what your talent level is, and it's not that Texas A&M is void of talent. There are four five-star guys still on that roster. Their quarterback position is the big question of injuries and poor play. And yet here is Texas A&M in the game, because Bama can't put him away, marching down the field for what is going to be a game-winning score on a fourth-down play. Now, again, you go back, play before. Interception, flag on Alabama, the knee goes down. Is it six? Is it five? Should Texas A&M have gotten an, uh, an extra two or three seconds so that maybe that last play's not the last play? Okay. And on the last play of that game, if you watch it and there's enough pictures, you can slow the video down, whatever it is, you want to do, uh, Alabama's Terry and Arnold makes contact and it's grabbing Evan Stewart of Texas A&M. It's pass interference. Now, the ball is maybe a third of a second late coming out. Uh, it's thrown a bit wide, which makes the angle even tougher, but there's contact, there's a hold. Should a flag have been thrown? Well, we can have this debate. And as I wrote today, the flag's not called because the flag's not thrown because it's bad for business. That doesn't mean the officials huddle before the play and go, hey, make sure we don't throw a flag because the game needs to end here. And if we can do it to help out, no, that, as I write, and in the column I wrote about Roger Clemens, Greg Maddox, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, great players over a period of time in their career, end up earning the benefit of the doubt versus the everyday guy that is just a name. Great players have to earn the wider strike zone if you're the dominant pitcher. The ability that third step that should have been a travel or it can't be a charge on you, it's got to be a block on them, or in the case of a 45-year-old guy in Tampa yesterday that's roughing the passer when it really isn't, you earn that. You don't just. You're not the second year guy that's a role player that gets that. Well, same thing happens to coaches and teams that are successful over a period of time. Nick Saban's built a dynasty at Alabama, maybe never duplicated again, and therefore you get the benefit of the doubt, and you end up being good for business. And that's always been the case. Why? Because officials are human. Officials are given a, a, a rule book that you follow, but they're human. And in the end, it's judgment call most of the time. And the eye sees something, the body reacts based on the emotion of the moment. And that's what happens. That's why there's no flag. I mean, for years I've argued there should never be conference officials in college football. The dumbest thing. Nothing but a bias. Nothing but a scam to favor the team when it needs to be favored. And you say, well, this is a game among SEC teams. That's correct. Right. Uh, but it doesn't mean you still don't have built-in bias. We say all the time about those that vote in college football playoff polls. You look at brands. Well, that team's got to be better because that's the brand. That's what happens. So you're not going to get a flag there because it's bad for business. It's better for business if Alabama keeps on winning, if Georgia keeps on winning, if Tennessee beats Alabama on Saturday, it's good for Tennessee to keep on winning. In the Big Ten, it's good for Ohio State and Michigan to keep on winning because it's good for business. Because playoffs and championships mean more money. 
So there's not this, hey, let's all get together, figure out how to rig games. No. But officials, officials are human. Officials get paid by certain places of business that you know where your bread's buttered. And it's natural. It's natural in everything in life. There's a reason why you keep going back to your favorite brands, because you just believe they're better. Well, go, go try this brand. Why? I like this one. Someone else tells me it's better. So that's what happened. Again, I I saw the play. I'm not screaming, oh, my goodness, Texas A&M got robbed. Because you know what? We can go back and do this all day. Because you know what? Now it's a popular thing on Twitter. Outside of the Brady play, there's like 30 plays people have posted from the Falcons-Buck game to go, well, look at this. We didn't call that. Look at that. We didn't call that. Look at this. And we do that all day. So that's why there's no flag thrown there. And Bama survives. As well, it's Alabama. They get every call. Well, you don't just do that. Vanderbilt doesn't get every call because they're in the SEC. If Vanderbilt goes on a, a stretch the next decade and wins like seven national championships, guess who'll get the benefit of the call? They will. Okay? Just like... When Aaron Judge steps to the plate Tuesday night, and that pitch it's close, it's not called a strike. Why? Because he's Aaron Judge. And that's what happens. Stars get the benefit of the doubt, just like coaches and teams get uh, the benefit of uh, the doubt. Coming up with the quick notes, Tennessee was incredibly impressive, and it is, uh, talk about a game of the week, Alabama and Tennessee. It's what the third Saturday of October had been for many, many years, a great tradition that had meant nothing for a number of years, and now here's that game back and all of the pun intended hype that'll come uh, with that. And Oklahoma, Texas, wow. Wow. Uh, and Oklahoma's 3-3, three and three, and they want their head coach fired, who's been there for six games, and Dylan Gabriel didn't play. And I do laugh about this, because I know, yes, Lincoln Riley left, a number of key transfers left. Some people are acting like the only players left at Oklahoma were two and one star guys. Okay? There's a lot of four and five star guys still at Oklahoma. Okay? And wow, was that brutal. And by the way, the Big 12 is the deepest conference in college football. It may not have a national championship team, but top to bottom, it's it, it, it's the deepest conference in uh, college football. And... Uh, you can say, well, the SEC, no, 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 the SEC, the top, it's really good. Right now, between Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, it's really, really good. But as far as one down to go deeper, no one's as deep as what the Big 12 uh, is. All right, uh, we come back to the NFL. Controversial calls, new concussion protocols, crazy coaching decisions, just a typical Sunday in the NFL. We'll get to all that next. The Beat of Sports, we're brought to you by Seminole Tower Sports. Number one is fast, fun. Reinhardt Road in Sanford, Highway 441 in Eustis. Online at SeminolePowerSports.com. Fall is here. Lots of great things for you to enjoy at Seminole Power Sports. Before I even get to the Brady tackled and flag, what happened in the Dolphins and Jets game and what the NFL summit protocols. Today, sitting in for... Scott Harris, who's enjoying a day off. His birthday was yesterday. By the way, I gave Scott his first birthday gift last week. Really? Yeah, his first one. Gave him a gift. What'd you get him? Advice. Nice. Priceless. Ah. No, I did give Scott a gift. Um, Before I do any of that, Chris Vasquez is sitting in for uh, Scott. We always enjoy when Chris is here. I'm going to give Chris the stage because his (laughs) Dallas Cowboys 
uh, went to Los Angeles at the $6 trillion stadium, known as SoFi <laughs> Stadium, and uh, beat the Rams and the Cowboys in the greatest division in football history, the NFC East, where the pride is back. Nobody cares what Washington's doing. Nah. The Eagles are 5-0. and the Cowboys and Giants are four and one, setting the stage for an incredible season of big divisional matchups, where the Giants may still end up being six and eleven. But anyway, I'll let you have the, the the floor for the next minute or so to talk about the Cowboys. Look, I just want to take the time. I know you like to call me the pessimistic Cowboys fan, and oh, I- you're the worst fan in the world. <laughs> as I cut you off right now, you are. Chris is the worst fan in the world. Ready? When the team wins and they're dominating, he is all in. And then if they should lose Football's a close game, Football's the Cowboys stink. Jerry Jones is terrible and all that stuff. I'm sorry I, to cut you off. Go ahead. I am convinced that the Cowboys will not win a Super Bowl until Jerry Jones is no longer the owner. I'm convinced of that. But right now, I'm enjoying a 4-1 and one start. I'm enjoying that the way they're playing. Uh, I think Bianchi actually hit it on the head that Cooper Rush should be the starting quarterback until he loses, but given the Cowboys are paying Dak $40-plus million a year, whenever Jerry Jones says, all right, Dak's back now, then Dak will come back. But I think the key to success is them finding the run game, take the ball out of the quarterback's hands, take it out of Dak's hands. 10 of 16, 102 for Cooper Rush oh, yesterday. Stud like numbers. Now, okay, um... I thought the Cowboy defense was phenomenal yesterday. Now, I do think Matthew Stafford's line is really bad right now. Yeah, uh, But Dallas defense, legit. The front seven, maybe it's the front and Micah Parsons. is really, really good, okay? And uh, that's going to win you some football games. Now they play the Eagles. What a great game. This I mean, is, this is be a great. Sunday night game, Dallas at Philadelphia. And it is a fascinating story about what you do at quarterback. It's one thing if Cooper Rush yesterday has this great game, and you're like, man, I don't know. So I, I think it even adds more to the great story it is that he wasn't great yesterday. He was just do a few things along the way here. Does that make you feel like, well, hey, we don't want to bring Dak back on the road at Philadelphia, but the other party is like, no, this is why you pay a quarterback, whatever the money they earn, to play in these games. And if he's medically cleared, but yet the other side's like, well, you know, with Cooper, they've won four in a row here. What do you do? Well, I mean, you have Jerry Jones running his mouth. I hope there's a quarterback controversy. I want there to be one. Uh, When Dak hurt his finger, Jerry's like, oh, he'll be back in like two weeks. Mm -hmm. So Jerry Jones, one, needs to stop talking. But again, the Cowboys' key to success has been running the ball. Tony Pollard... Absolutely phenomenal. Okay, so I'm asking you the question. Okay. As a Cowboy fan, uh, 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 let's just say by tomorrow, Dak Prescott's cleared to return. Who does Chris Vasquez want to start the game at Philadelphia? Cooper Rush. Why? One, ride the hot hand. Momentum is everything in football. The Cowboys have a lot of momentum right now. Mm -hmm. So does Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. But I... Ride the hot hand. Who's, Why not? Who is the better quarterback? Uh, I do think Jalen Hurts is better. No, I, he doesn't play for your team. Uh, you thought, <laughs> Who's the guy on your team? I do think Dak is better. Okay. 
which makes it even more fascinating because it's the Cowboys and ultimately Jerry Jones is going to decide, not Mike McCarthy. So, okay, um, let's get to the the, the two big uh, stories about rules and everything. First, Teddy Bridgewater goes down, uh, and I will argue anybody who says, well, the Dolphins' chance of winning was gone at that moment. I will argue, I don't know if I'll physically fight you, it is 1917, Miami has the ball in the third quarter, and we're not early third quarter. The Dolphins had an opportunity to win that game. Then the Jets score 21 straight points, and the score becomes uh, lopsided, okay? And you can question the Dolphin defense in the last, what, 22 minutes of the game. But it's a 1917 game with the ball. Scott Thompson's not chucking the ball all over the place interceptions. And, yes, Mike McDaniel's got to get creative, which, by the way, I, I'd love the goal line snap with the tight end coming in motion to take the snap and go in. It's, it's a great play. It's a great play. Um but, again, Teddy Bridgewater is cleared on the sideline in concussion protocol to return, but an eye in the sky, which the NFL and the PA, after the Tua stuff, said this week, hey, new protocol, if somebody up above. And any person who read that didn't need talking heads on TV for you to go, that's going to cause confusion. And you saw it. Somebody up above, not on the sideline talking to Teddy Bridgewater, not consulting with the doctors that are going through the protocol, made the decision he's out of the game. Now, I said to uh, Mike early in the bridge, I think this will play itself out in the next several weeks. It's what took place this past week. It's clearly the memo sent down, however form it was, of the league office to the refs. Hey, be on the lookout for this. This is the new protocol. It's the pressure on the eye in the sky. And if you see a sign like that, but you know and I know, and Twitter was all over this yesterday. Uh, I mean, I used the name earlier, Josh Allen. If Josh Allen gets hit in a playoff game and gets up and, and has a limp or wobbles for a second, you think he's getting pulled? Okay, I, again, ain't no TV network paying billions of dollars to have him pulled. Now, if it's clear, hey, that's a sign that looks like a serious that's one thing. But... It, it will get better. Yesterday just seemed like an overreaction that did impact the Dolphins there. The call in the Buck game is a terrible call. It's a terrible call. You can spin it any way you want, but it's a terrible call. Grady Jarrett grabs Tom Brady and brings him down. Uh, Jerome Bogart said afterwards, Greg Allman of The Athletic, who often comes out with Mike Bianchi, was the pool reporter, and Bogar said the following, quote, What I had was the defender grab the quarterback while he was still in the pocket and unnecessarily throwing him to the ground. That is what I was making my decision based upon. Again, I said this earlier. You have to take into account, and I think the call's wrong, the angle Jerome Bogar's thing, what he sees as the player is being pulled down, not justifying his call. You and I have the benefit of watching it live on TV, Ten different angles, super slow mo to go. Wait a minute, that is that's a bad call. That's a ref that has a different angle. They gets one shot to call it. He doesn't get the benefit of going back and watching replay. It's live. It's instant. What does he see? And he makes the call based on a week of what reminder from the league office. Hey, we're on the lookout for this stuff. And what else? Tom Brady is Tom Brady. And like I wrote in my column today, great players earn the benefit of the doubt. And what else does Tom Brady do? He's trying to kick 
Jared as he's getting up. So uh, Bogart natural action. Wow, Thomas feel like that's really flagrant. And all that can happen in a split second? Yes. Why? Because we're human. It's a bad call. And it changes the game. I do not know that the Falcons are going to march on the field and score. But if the sack counts, the Bucks are punting with just under three to go. And the Falcons gain momentum at that point in the fourth quarter. Maybe they do come down and score. So they lost the chance. And yes, I know, as people have been posting, what about the no pass interference call in Scotty Miller? What about when Vita Bay got pushed by a Falcon lineman into Mariota? They got called. I know. That happens in the course of a game. But on this particular play, which is critical, yeah, it was a bad call. The day was also filled with other interesting uh, decisions uh, made. Uh, one, Carson Wentz, the interception of the goal line when the commanders had a chance to win. Uh how about Cincinnati? Down 13-10, third quarter, fourth and goal at the Baltimore 2. Zach Taylor goes for it. They don't kick a field goal to try to tie the game at 13. Again, the advanced analytic world we live in, and the guy that does it all the time, Brandon Staley. Fourth and one, his own 46, 118 to go. Doesn't get it because Justin Herbert throws an incomplete pass, and the Browns have a chance for a game-winning field goal, which they miss, and the Chargers survive. And Brandon Staley, with great confidence, defended his decision to go forward on fourth and one with a history of going forward on fourth downs on his side of the field. His point was, we're trying to win the game. And if he gets the first down, the game's over. They didn't get it. Browns have a chance but missed uh, the field goal. That's that's our new NFL. And you're going to get plenty of decisions uh, like this that we magnified because, wow, he went forward and fourth down on his side of uh, the field. Um, tonight, uh, we got Raiders and the Chiefs, the Monday night uh, football game. Uh, Steelers are 1-4. and four. Ouch. It'll be a losing season for Mike Tomlin, barring a big uh, turnaround. By the way, how about the Bears? Typical Bears. Catch, chance maybe to keep the drive alive. Ball stripped. And... As I saw someone else post, and it's a pretty good message, at some point, like Dan Campbell does, you can't accept the after every game, it's on me. At 29 nothing, it's on everybody, dude. It ain't just on you, okay? So don't worry about it. It's on everybody. And the Lions uh, got beat by uh, my boy, Zappy Bailey, and uh, the Patriots. Um, on Friday, this past Friday, J.C. Carnahan, the Orlando Sentinel, the great Reporter, writer for that paper, was on with us with his high school football recap and preview because we had games on Thursday night. Okoye beat Winter Park in overtime. Great football game, and Okoye's 5-1. and one. And then J.C. told the story how despite that big win, that a few hours later that football team was going to get on a bus and drive down to southwest Florida to help uh, those impacted by the hurricane. And you're thinking, wow, that's like five hours after the game. And they did. And their head coach... Aaron Shepard's going to join us to tell us why they did that and why it means so much to him and the team that they did it. We'll get to that story in his interview next. The Bit of Sports, Martin Daniels, brought to you by our friends of the Orlando Touchdown Club. Tonight, Shane Matthews, former Gator quarterback and a color analyst of their broadcast team, is our guest speaker. 
Uh, to learn more about the Orlando Touchdown Club, go to orlandotdclub.com. Uh, when we meet, we honor high school uh, players. Uh, one of the great things uh, that we do, uh, and uh, we'll do so tonight, and I'm going to share the story of our next guest because it's part of the many great things about high school sports is that it's the competition of the field, but it's also the impact that coaches have on um, young men and women that end up becoming life lessons that last far beyond uh, the playing field. Our friend J.C. Carnahan was on Friday to tell us about the great Thursday night game of Ocoee and Winter Park, back and forth, an overtime win for Ocoee, 31-28. to And hours after that victory, uh, the Ocoee football team uh, decided uh, with their head coach that they were going to go help some people that uh, needed some help by getting on uh, a bus and heading down to the southwest part of the state that was just uh, hit so hard by the hurricane and to do uh, their part. And their head coach, Aaron Shepard is kind to join us on the program today. Coach, good morning. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, first, um, let's go back to Thursday night. You got a big football game. What was the week like for your team? The storm, the crazy schedule of when you can practice, are people safe? What was the week like before you even got to the game on Thursday? So our week has been hectic that week was hectic so you you have to remember we, we were off from the the previous tuesday so we had we, we went to school tuesday but there was no practice so our entire county was closed from tuesday until tuesday so we go back to practice on tuesday we have a practice on tuesday full practice try to get some kids in shape but we don't want to take too much from them you know and kill their legs so we we practice tuesday had a, a run through on wednesday to make sure we kind of had everything together and had to play on thursday Right, and so we only really had one good day of practice and one run through at practice um, going into the game. So it was kind of hectic, you know. Us and Winter Park, we were we were kind of. I mean, I talked to Coach before the game, and he was saying the same things I was saying. We had the same concerns, like, man, this is you know, this is a quick turnaround for high school kids to play, you know, and and to be off for a week, you know. You, yeah, we played close before, you know. We've had a short short week before, but not with a week off, you know, and so that was kind of a tough deal for us. But I mean, you know, the week was a little was a little hectic just just going into that and then knowing that we were gonna have to, you know, get up and be at the school at four thirty in the morning, um, you know, the next day was was definitely something a little different. But, you know, it was good for us. I wanna get to that in a, yeah, I'll get it in a second. Then the game itself lived up to the hype. It was a great football game and overtime a victory and a field goal for you guys. Um I would imagine draining itself. So um Tell me what it was like when the field goal goes through the uprights and, and, and the emotion of a win like that. Man, I mean, you know, Winter Park is a great team. Good players, good coaching, man, they're really disciplined. Um, you know, in previous years we've been in close games. We we, we, we have we have hard times sometimes pulling them out, you know. Um and so for us to get in there and actually, you know, kick the game winner, the, the kid Marlon who kicked the game winner, it's just his that was his first uh field goal in the game. Period, and you know, of course, for it to be the game winner, this is his first year playing football. He was a soccer player that came out, and so um, you know, just the emotions of the game. Period. You know, being up, tying it back up, you know, going in overtime, getting a stop on fourth down, you know, knowing the game is right there, then getting a penalty because we, you know, we got a penalty. We we got down to the one or two yard line, but got a penalty for a player not being set. Bring it back. Now we back up a little bit, try to run the ball a little bit closer to get in. Just all the calls on the sidelines. Coaches communicating about how we want to do this, how we want to go about the making sure we keep the ball in the middle of the field, talking to the players. Just a whole big array of emotions, you know. And for the ball to 
to get to, you know to go through uprights and I mean it was good by a mile for him to, for him to go out there and, and, and make the field goal with no no sweat off his brow you know he 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 knew he made it he said when he kicked it he, before he went out there he already knew it he wasn't even worried about it wasn't scared about it and so it was a good deal for him you know really good good for us good for the kids. Aaron Shepherds with us, head coach at Ocoee High School, five and one. By the way, after that win, you just mentioned before you knew Friday uh, morning that the teams get up early. Tell me how that came about. Why did you do it? And then after that win, what it was like Friday morning? As you mentioned before, the kids knew they're getting up early the next day. So, how did it come about? And ex- explain what led to the decision to go down there. So, um, my mother runs a huge outreach um, in Miami to a church called El Rey de Jesus, and they have over 20,000 members. And so they they had a huge uh, donation. People donated a lot of things to take to the hurricane efforts. And so I was speaking to my mom about it, and she was saying, hey, you know, uh, we're looking for volunteers. There was a place, the Operation Barbecue Relief, that was short of 100 volunteers. And I was like, hey, you know what? I've been through a hurricane. When I was in third grade, I went to Hurricane Andrew. And I, I tell everybody, you know, in Orlando, we don't really get hurricanes really bad. But it was a tough experience for me. You know, my family didn't have power for about three and a half months. Uh, we lost the, the whole back half of our roof. Um, you know, it was just a tough experience. You know, just, I mean, we lived in a, a RV in our driveway for about three for about three of those three and a half months, you know. And so it was just a real deal, different experience, you know. And I, I know what it's like. So for me, it kind of touched home. So I just, you know, talked to a player and said, hey, look, you know, this is something that we need to do. You know, I know it's going to be tough. We don't have school on Friday. Um but we'll be here, you know. And so this is this is something that that's important to me. So I hope it's important to you guys too. And so we, you know, we 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 passed up the permission slips and you know said, hey, we'll be here at four four thirty in the morning. Make sure you guys are on time. At four fifteen, the kids were showing up. So how many players yeah. did you take down there? And then when you got down, I, I saw some of the video when you got down there. Can you share what you saw? what your players saw, what that emotion was like, and then what it was like to see through your players' eyes helping people. So I believe we took uh, 46, if I'm not mistaken, 46 or 47 mm-hmm. players. Um, and it started mounting up a little bit when we were driving down. You know, we uh, we got to a traffic spot, and we went over a bridge, and the water was at the bridge going over I-75. You know, so we were like, whoa, you know, it's <laughs> It was, it was something. Then we saw trees there. And then we saw a house that was leveled as we got closer. Um, then we passed some farm property where all the trees in the farm property were down the fences, you know. And then we saw communities. There was a lake community, a community that had a lake behind it. And the water was still up to the doors of the back of the houses. You know, some of the kids were taking pictures of it. Then we got off the highway. And when they saw there was a hotel there that was missing in stucco, we met at McDonald's, right? Um, they fed us before we went, we went. So when we got there, we went to McDonald's. And we couldn't find McDonald's because there was no sign. And so we were like, just look for the sign. But all the signs were on the ground. Um, you know, then there was no ice and no water and no fountain drinks, you know. And so it was still serving, but there was nothing that, because on the on the boil water right. effect. So we saw all of that. Then we started driving closer because um, where we had to check in at was across the bridge. When we, when we started doing that is really when we saw it. I mean, we saw mobile homes, parks devastated. We saw um, elderly communities devastated. We saw there was no traffic lights up. Traffic lights were on the side of the road. Um, you know, awnings and houses and, I mean, roofs demolished. There was, there, it was just, it, it looked pretty bad. Then we passed a construction site to go over the bridge. I mean, 
it looked like a war zone there, like somebody had dropped the bomb inside of the building, like something that you see on a movie. And so, you know, the kids were all like, whoa, you know, but there was people working, you know, crews out fixing and cleaning up and a lot of volunteer help and things like that. So we checked in and then we went over to, uh, to the uh, barbecue relief and we just helped clean up there and, and pass out water and ice, you know, to see people there. There was insurance, there was an insurance city there where people were getting there, to, were, were there to get relief. The line was around the corner, you know, so it was just a, 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 a I mean, there's a massive effort there to help, you know, but they're still short, short staff. So I'm glad that we went down there. What, what do you hope and what do you think your players took out of the experience and, and what are you most proud of? So, man, it's always, you know, we, we have a saying in our program, you reap what you sow. I got that from my dad, you know, and my mom. But that, that's something I grew up with. You reap what you sow. And so you, you put in what you get out. And so if you put in good, you put out good. And a couple of players actually joked about it when we were there. You know, they were smiling and laughing. They said, Coach, you reap what you sow, you know. And so, you know, that's, I, I just hope that they take those lifelong lessons with them. You know, that, that life is bigger than football. You know, if if our entire community could get together and do do things like that, man, the world would be a lot better place. There was a lady from a town in Michigan, and she was taking pictures of the boys serving water. And she was like, I just want to send this back and show them how things should be done, you know. And so just to be, you know, for them to see that people actually appreciate that. And, you know, it wasn't like a media ploy. It was really something to go help. And, and they, they enjoyed it. You know, it felt good to them. They had a good time. I mean, it was tiring. The trip was long. There was a lot of traffic there and back of course, but it was worth it. And they and they really enjoyed it, and they really felt like, you know, they made a difference. And so that's what I wanted them to see. You know, it's always good to be a blessing to somebody else. Um, By the way, I, I think it's incredible, and I, I thank you for sharing the story. And as you know, we get caught up high school sports, high school football for good reasons. We love it. We're proud of our state. We get caught up in – name, image, and likeness, and transferring and rankings and all sorts of things. But I think, as you know and have experienced, uh, what you do stretches far beyond all that stuff. And I think when you peel it all back, I'm guessing this is kind of why you do it. You love the competition of it, but to have an impact on, in this case, young men, that's got the biggest impact on you, if I'm guessing. Man, there there are a bunch of schools in the state of Florida. I tell my parents, it's at my first parent meeting, right? We have a parent meeting, <clears throat> you know, and and all this name, image, and likeness, and scholarships, and programs. You know, I, I have a son that's on the team. You know, he's committed to Illinois. He had 32 scholarship offers, right? And, and at the end of the day, that's good. It's awesome, right? But that's short-lived. Regardless of how good he is, what he does, just in my own house, if he decided to play, if he played in the NFL for 20 years, he would still be 40 years old, 42 years old when he finished. He played 20. Right, and he's got to figure out life after that, and so you have to give them bigger than that. You can't measure the success of your program by a state championship. Everybody wants to win it, but they'll, this year there'll be eight state winners in the state of Florida out of I'm guessing 900 to 1,000 teams. If every team managed their uh, rated their program based on a state championship, then you would have 800 plus failures or 900 plus failures. Right, and that's not what it's about because you know you, you're here to develop these young guys. Their parents trust them, right? Some guys need some guys need father figures. Some guys need parental guidance. Some guys need help. Some guys don't, but they all need to be grown and groomed into men that can actually, you know, turn this world into a better place. And so it, it, it's, it's tough sometimes. You know, you have to balance that with winning because a lot of people believe that winning is the only thing. 
but winning is only so much, you know, and, and, and like I said, you know, you want the kids to leave with valuable life lessons so that when they come back, they're good husbands, they're good fathers, they're good community members, you know, and, and, and they bring back all of those things to the program. Uh, that is well said. I do want to end, though, on football because you've had a great season, 5-1, and one, only lost by one to a Popka. Here's Edgewater this week, right? It gets easier for you this week, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, definitely. To man the mental edge of Cedric Baxter, he's a good player. Um, you know. Yeah, just give me some thoughts on you know, Edgewater. And, and, again, you've had a great year and, and, and uh, more wins lie ahead. But uh, uh, what do you got to do on Friday to win? I mean, it's no secret. You have to stop the running back. I mean, he's the best running back in the country, in my opinion. Uh, he's big. He's fast. He's a great kid. I know him personally. Um, good kid, man. Great, great individual. Coach Duke does a great job. You know, I, I've always admired Coach Duke and, and the work that he does just at Edgewater as well. I mean, they're, they're a great program. They, they, they're one of the, they are the top tier program in Orlando. You know, when you talk about great football, I know it's Edgewater, it's Jones, it's Apaka, you know. And so, you know, we, we just want to make sure that we're, we're in the game and that we can put our name in the same conversation. I mean, they're, like I said, they're a great program, great coaches, great players, you know, and they do similar things as we do. You know, they, they'll do mission trips and things like that as well. So, I mean, you know, just, just trying to make sure that, we, that we're, doing everything that we need to do to win. You know, that, that if we lose the game, it's because they're better than us and not because we gave it to them. Uh, Aaron Shepard's head football coach at Ocoee. The Knights are 5-1. and one. They'll take on Edgewater. But I think, as you can hear in the conversation, they're champions off the field because it's more than just football. Uh, coach, um, you made a, a bunch of fans just by the story. Uh, congrats on what's been a great season. Um, and compliment to you for having players uh, that, that that are committed to not just football, but for something like they did this past weekend that will impact them for many, many years to come. Best of luck, and we'll root for you uh, for many reasons, not just uh, on the football field. Thank you, Coach. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, Aaron, thank you. Aaron Shepard, the football coach at Ocoee. That's easy to root for, man. What a story. That's a great story. Huh? 46 kids got up. You figure by the time they got done, an overtime football game, the emotion of that, by the time you get to bed, 1, 2 o'clock, and at 4.15, they're showing up to get in a bus. And you can only imagine the drive where you're tired, some guys sleep, some guys wake up, and then maybe somebody nudges you because they begin to see the destruction of that storm. And then the silence of, I'm guessing, everybody awake, looking at something that those players have never seen before. And as Aaron Shepard explained, he lived through Andrew and shared his life experience of what he and his family lost. And then to have that impact to say, hey, put a smile on your face. We've got to help some people out and to do it. And I know that there are other teams and other causes that should all be praised for it. But um, uh, that's a great story by those guys. And regardless of what happens against Edgewater, I think we can all root for a Coe as we do all of our teams uh, in the air. And again, thanks to JC who tipped me off the story and I reached out to Coach Shepard who was kind of come on and just sounds like a super, super uh, nice guy. 11 o'clock hour kicks off with the news next. Vivita Sports, Mark Daniels on this Monday. Chris Vasquez is sitting in for. Scott Harris got celebrated a birthday yesterday. Big Orlando City win and enjoying a day off uh, today. Days like today is when I wish we had a live camera in the control room so people could watch Chris react to every song he chooses to play. 
Do you consider yourself a good dancer? Absolutely. Wow, that's the problem with a guy that thinks that. <laughs> yeah. I am I am trying to learn some uh, salsa uh-huh. and merengue uh-huh. for when I moved to Colombia. Uh-huh. I had to move my hips more. Less shoulder movement. Or just, you know, stay on the sideline. Wow. You know? Yeah. Uh, 11 o'clock <laughs> hour, WYJM, Orlando, WJRR, HD2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Leader. Let's really do the news. Yes. Now it is time to do the news. But now it's time uh, for the news. To get to the news, I'm not going to do Scott's normal open that he does. That's kind of tailor-made for him. But um, interesting day in the NFL yesterday. Much attention on what was the interesting call, both in the Dolphins and Bucks game. First, Teddy Bridgewater got knocked down on a play early in the game. And even though on the sideline, concussion protocol, doctors had cleared Bridgewater to return. It was the eye in the sky that ruled Bridgewater out of the game. The new protocol is put in place by the NFL and the NFLPA that gave that person the right to have a player pulled from the game. It led to the social media and all the broadcast networks to respond to that decision. And like I said, I think it will get better in the next several weeks, but there's the reaction of, wow, what are we doing here? Now, did the Dolphins lose the Jets because Teddy Bridgewater didn't play? I would argue that it was a 1917 game in the third quarter, and Miami had opportunities. Their defense fell apart. The Jets made some big plays. And the Jets, by the way, are three and two, Chris Vasquez. Very shocking. Three and two. I am very surprised. Um and the AFC, which is so deep, if we are in agreement that the Bills are going to win the division. Yes. Now Take a look at the rest of that division. If you're trying to be a wild card out of that division, I mean, that becomes a real interesting race with all three of those teams now, the Jets, Patriots, and Dolphins. Because, say what you want about, well, the Jets aren't really a good 3-2 and two team. I don't know if the Giants are a good 4-1 and one team, but they are what they are, as Bill Parcells told us. You are what your record is. Yeah. So that becomes uh, interesting to see what that battle uh, is like. Tom Brady... Because he's Tom Brady, certainly looked like he got the benefit of a key call in the Falcons game against the Bucs. 21-15 score, which is over three to go. Tom Brady dropped back, looked like it was a normal sack of Grady Jarrett grabbing Brady and bringing him down. Jerome Bolgard, the head official, threw a flag, and from his angle, he felt it was an unnecessary throw to the ground of Brady. Which, if you want to be sarcastic, meant what? Grady Jarrett should have just held him like a little teddy bear and wait for the whistle? Uh, brought him down. Brady tries to kick uh, Darren, who, who gets up. And Jerome Bogart afterwards to a pool reporter, Greg Allman of The Athletic, who's a guest often on Mike Bianchi's show, said, quote, what I had was a defender grabbed the quarterback while he was still in the pocket and unnecessarily throwing him to the ground. That is what I was making my decision based upon. Chris Vasquez, your thought is what? Bad it's, call. It's a terrible call. It's a bad call. Uh, would the Falcons have scored and won the game? I don't know, but the Bucks would have been punting to get the ball back to uh, Atlanta. The Bucks didn't punt and then ran the clock out. The Eagles are the only 5-0 football team in the NFL that went to Arizona yesterday and beat the Cardinals, who now sit at 2-3. and three. Tonight's Monday Night Football game finds the 1-3 Raiders against the 3-1 and one Kansas City Chiefs. Blowout, close game, what? You know, I really don't know. I think it's going to be a close game. Got to like the decisive pick there by Chris Vasquez. 
close game. Tennessee volunteer safety Jalen McCullough arrested on felony assault charges. Listen to this story from this uh, early this morning, late last night early this morning. Uh, according to a Knox County Sheriff's Office arrest warrant, officers responded to a call at 3.28 p.m. on Sunday. A man told officers, I'm sorry, late Saturday to Sunday, a man told officers that he had been drinking with friends in an apartment and left to retrieve items from his car. So a guy leaves the apartment to go to his car. He accidentally returned to an apartment in the wrong building. Knocked on the door, no one answered. The man told police that he opened an unlocked door, realized he was in the wrong apartment, and apologized to the residents. After leaving the apartment, a man followed him and became aggressive, according to the victim. The arrest report noted that the victim apologized again and told the male he didn't have to be a blank about it, fill in the blank. As he was walking away, he heard footsteps behind him. He turned around to the top of the stairs approximately 30 feet from the door and was punched in the face. He fell backwards towards the stairs and lost consciousness. When the victim regained consciousness, according to the report, a different man and woman were helping him up. Officers noted that there was blood on the staircase. The victim had blood and swelling on his mouth and multiple missing and broken teeth. Officers attempted to contact the residents of the apartment, but no one answered the door. Officers found the woman who had been helping the victim in a car in the parking lot, and she identified herself as McCullough's girlfriend. She called McCullough back to the scene, and his right hand was in bandages with blood-soaked bandages around his hand. He refused to answer officers' questions and was arrested. He was released early this morning from Knox County Sheriff's Office. Tennessee has had no comment. Wow. Thoughts? One, someone knocks on your door, go answer it. Or don't answer at that hour and maybe ask, who are you, what's going on? And then the, the door is open or unlocked. And every, Okay, I get it. I'm not justifying the, the, the punch. Someone walks in, you get scared, and then kind of say, what's going on? Person apologizes. I do think there's a natural reaction to not believe and say, no. You try to break in here. Fair enough. Um, and apparently, he punched him. And there's so a lot of have, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of things uh, going on there. Uh, it could be four to six weeks. The Magic aren't commenting about it. Regarding the injury, Jalen Suggs suffered. Spencer did what he had basketball game. I posted the uh, the clip that someone else illegally posted because they stole it, which ninety nine percent of the video on Twitter is stolen without giving credit. Spencer Dinwiddie, he shoves Jalen Suggs. He, he he does. Now, it's not a regular season game, a playoff game, so you're like, oh, whatever. Um, he doesn't just kind of gently push Suggs away to try to fight through a screen. He, he forearms him forward, and that's where Suggs steps on, on the player's foot that looked like that's a serious knee injury. And Suggs goes down with what the Magic are not saying, but could be something four to six weeks. And if you're a Magic fan, whether you saw it or reacted to uh, social media or learned about it afterwards, you just roll your eyes like, oh, my God, again, with a Magic and an injury. It doesn't look like it's something to miss months, but you're just like, great, here we go again. Four to six weeks takes you into the regular season, and it's it's the bad luck of... Of the magic, but 
Dinwiddie, to me, had a, a, to me, it's a cheap shot. It really is. It's a cheap shot if you take a look at what he does with a forearm to shove uh, Suggs uh, forward uh, like that. And um, hopefully Jalen Suggs doesn't miss extensive time, but you just kind of hold your breath like, oh, my goodness, really? Um, Major League Baseball playoffs advanced down to the divisional series. Last night, the Padres beat the Mets 6 nothing, And in that ball game. Joe Musgrave was fantastic for San Diego. Also accused of cheating by Met manager Buck Showalter. The power of social media. The Mets only accused Musgrove and asked the umpire to check his ears. His ears. Because social media and in the ability of finding this stuff of advanced analytics said, hey, this dude's spin ratio is too high tonight, and his numbers are above what they normally are. He must be cheating. Oh, look, his ears seem golden. Uh, and he's using what's known as a hot ear substance, which then people go can be used to, one, be a natural substance to elevate your energy or a device to help you pitch. All that gets to the Mets dugout, and that's why Buck Showalter, in the sixth inning, asked the umpire to check Musgrave's uh, Musgrove's ears. We've all seen the cap, the glove, but the ear where the umpire is going up, which, by the way, again, as much as I will hate Twitter sometimes, can be funny. Several people are like, hey, if you're going to do that thing in the ear, at least pull a quarter out and go, hey, look what I found. <laughs> uh, and they found nothing of a substance. And Musgrove dominated through seven, and the Padres eliminate the Mets six to nothing as baseball now advances. You want a little bit of breaking news? Yeah. Uh, the Panther, the Carolina Panthers have fired their head coach, Matt Rule. Uh, I believe pro football talk was the first to maybe speculate on that, but that is not surprising. David Tepper fires Matt Rule, who he gave a seven-year contract to. And by the way... If you're going to get fired and you're Matt Rule, now's the time to do it. Why? Because there's a number of P5 jobs open in college football, and he'll get one of them. Because he did a great job at Temple and was doing a great job at Baylor and could not turn down the seven-year offer to become the head coach at Carolina, and he'll land one of these jobs. I don't know which one, but he'll get a job. So there you go. That breaking news comes across. I'm just going to say the rest of the baseball schedule. Uh, tomorrow, Phillies, Braves, Padres, Dodgers, Mariners, Astros, and Guardians, and Yankees. By the way, one side sports media note. Brian Anderson, who I think is excellent at baseball play-by-play, has been the TBS main crew all year. He'll work the number two game for TBS because Bob Costas is going to be in the main seat for the game. Brian Anderson's not happy today. <laughs> I know that. Um, it was down to the wire for Orlando City Soccer. Win or go home. They trailed one nothing before a dramatic second half, and the Lions advanced to make the MLS playoffs. Miguel Guiardo explains how it all went down. Mickey next. Ah. Sports, Mark Daniels on this 
Monday. Drama for Orlando City Soccer. Going into yesterday, it was win and get in. Uh, lose and uh, be home. And it set the stage for a uh, incredible second half. And Orlando City uh, gets the victory 2-1. to one. Our good friend Miguel Guiardo, uh, part of the broadcast team, Orlando City Soccer, who has been kind to join us throughout the year to talk about the ups and downs and certainly the ups of this morning. Miggy, good morning. I'm sure everyone's still emotionally high of that uh, dramatic second half yesterday. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. It was an emotional roller coaster, uh, like we're accustomed to, to be fair, with Orlando. <laughs> Especially this season, they've been relatively inconsistent in terms of results and performances. Uh, and yesterday in the first half, it was a difficult game. And the second half, they turned it around, and they were able to come away with the result that they needed. And, yeah, it was a really special night for sure. Take me through the first half, because, again, you know what's at stake. The strategy is different. Columbus can take the draw, so they've got a different approach. Orlando City must win. Uh, Columbus gets the goal. Oddly enough, the guy who scores the goal comes out, and Kevin Molino comes in. But um, when Columbus scores, what did you see? And then what was different at the start of the second half for Orlando City? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was strange, uh, the energy levels. I thought they came out flat, and I think that's an easy thing to say. They came out flat, but I think uh, confidence-wise, they were not at the best situation because they had come from losing to Inter-Miami 4-1, to and two games or three games before that, they they'd lost to Philadelphia 5-0, and it just hadn't been a strong finish to the season in Major League Soccer. Four out of the last five matches before Columbus Crew, they have dropped. And yes, they won the U.S. Open Cup in the middle of all this, all this um, results. And probably that's why some of the results were the way they were. But ultimately, you know, you don't want to come into decision day knowing that you just dropped an important result against your rival in Inter Miami. So I was always curious how they were going to react. Not to mention missing Antonio Carlos and Robin Janssen. Now they've been playing without Robin Janssen for quite a few weeks now because of his injury. But Antonio Carlos was due to a yellow card accumulation in that Inter-Miami game. And, and I thought they could be in real trouble here. And I think that overall in the first half, it was just a combination of energy levels, maybe some confusion, maybe some lack of confidence that didn't let them play their best soccer. And Columbus crew had the urgency that they needed to come here and get a result. And you know, Columbus Crew is a good team. Pound for pound, they have really good players. Cucho Hernandez and Celarayan, players with double-digit goals. Um, you know, they're a real threat, and they showed that throughout the, the first half. But, you know, this is a team that has dropped the most points out of winning positions. And so you felt statistically, at least if you follow the trend, in the second half, Orlando City could get back into the game. And I actually spoke to Jose Malasan after the match, and I said, what did you say to the guys? And we... And what did you do? Because I noticed a little bit more energy. And he said, look, this is a do or die. Yes, Open Cup is there. But ultimately, we have an opportunity here to keep achieving something special, which is to qualify to the playoffs for the third consecutive time in their tenure. And uh, he said, I pushed, you know, pushed lines up a little bit. You know, I risk a little bit more. And uh, I think a moment of brilliance from Junior Russo kind of sparked the comeback. And then, uh, and obviously the penalty in Facundo Torres, a guy that's full of confidence when I keep scoring and, and getting assists, just flying right now in a really good moment. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to step up to the penalty kick spot at 21, 22 years old in such a critical moment and then hit that with some venom and confidence. So, 
uh, I was really, really pleased that they were able to come back in the second half with more energy, with more intention, and get the result. Um, the Junior Urso goal, it's a beautiful play, and it's a goal. And then the emotion just kind of changes. You can make the case, two minutes later, about a handball that you know I thought they missed that, that could have given Orlando City the penalty kick then. And then you could just see momentum shift to Orlando City, and then obviously the Facunda Torres penalty kick. Could you tell that Columbus, I wouldn't say panic, but they now realize, okay, we could take the draw, but it looked like they were not withstanding the Orlando pressure now in the final 30 minutes. Yeah, and that's one been one of the issues with them is that they keep dropping points from winning positions. They did it the week on Wednesday versus Charlotte FC. Uh, they were they were winning two 0 and they ended up tying the game versus an expansion team that was limited. To be fair, that they think that they did a really good job and they almost got into the playoffs, but they were limited. And 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 I think when when Junior Russo scored the first goal. If I'm their players, you're thinking, here we go again. We've been here before. And then nerves set in and you start to panic a little bit. I don't think that this is a team that knows how to just sit back and defend a lead um, because that is there's a system within doing that. And I just don't think that Columbus Crew has those players or at least has been that type of team. They're, they're a possession-based team. They like to keep the ball. It's not like you can just say, right, let's just get back. Let's just drop in a line of five and a line of four and then one pressuring and then make it difficult for them to penetrate. It just doesn't work like that. It doesn't. It's not that easy. And, uh, and so I don't think Columbus Crew had it in their locker to be that team that's just going to hold the lead. Uh, and Orlando City obviously got got lucky there on that on the corner kick, on the penalty kick that, that I thought it was the right decision. I even I was you know had to call on the radio and these decisions can go either way, uh, but I just I bet my life that it was going to be a penalty. And then when the referee Chilowitz starts to walk away from the VAR and uh, and he signals, I'm thinking, whoa, is he going to change? <laughs> is, he, is he not? I mean, I thought, oh my god, I'm going to just look like a fool here because I literally said this is 150 percent right. a penalty. There is no doubt about it. He's going to call a penalty kick, and so. There was a moment where he looked like he was doubtful, but ultimately it was the right decision. And as I said, I mean, we've been in situations like this before where in key moments, Orlando City has missed penalty kicks, but it wasn't the case. Facundo Torres is just what a player he's been. Uh, you know, from a goaltending standpoint, final minutes so critical. Pedro Galicia made some really big plays. And then can you explain the bizarre substitution moment where for whatever reason we're going 11 on 10, that it shouldn't have been 11 on 10? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's complicated and there's so much emotion. But obviously, there are three different windows uh, in which you can make five substitutions, not including the half the halftime. That doesn't count as a window. So you get your five substitutions in in those three really four windows in the game. But you know these things happen. You know, remember I don't know if you remember uh, in the in a penalty kick shootout in 2020, yeah. I think it was where the referee didn't know if we could substitute a goalkeeper to replace the red card for Pedro Alese. And I'm thinking, do they not realize they cannot substitute somebody in a red card after? I mean, it just, it was, it was really, really bizarre. And so, um, look, uh, Pedro Alese, he's had a difficult year. It hasn't been his best year. He's been relatively inconsistent uh, for Orlando City. And he's conceded a lot of goals. He's got one of the lowest save percentages in the league. Um, and and so for him to come up big time yesterday in the first half, he made a really, really good save that somehow he was able to keep. He hit the post and it comes back into his arms. 
um, you know, it, 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 you needed him to step up in a big moment, and he did because, as I said, he went through the heartache of missing out on the World Cup with his nation of Peru and that playoff match against Australia. And so he came back from that. And so you, know, you got you got to imagine the weight of a whole, of a whole country on your back, and they were not able to achieve that that uh, that that milestone. And now they come back to MLS and then to win U.S. Open Cup. And then now being in a situation where your team needed you to perform, and he did, I thought that was a real special moment for him. Uh, here comes Montreal. Two teams split, each winning on their home uh, field. Just give me a thought as to what uh, we might see in this matchup. Oh, I think it's, he's going to dance with the ugly one, as I say, in my country, <laughs> <laughs> Orlando City. Uh, you know, they're a really, really good team. Uh, they are very clear in their ideas and the way they play. Will Fernandez has done a terrific job since being an interim coach last year, actually in 2020, after Thierry and Reece suddenly left during the bubble. And he has taken this team to new heights with not necessarily big-time players. One of the key acquisitions that they made in the last three years has been Georgi Mihailovic from the Chicago Fire, a player that had tremendous upside, but somehow hit a plateau with Chicago Fire. And when he went to Montreal for a lot of money, Monopoly money, I think over a million dollars, he just hit a new stride. And he's been in the picture for the national team. I actually actually think he was hard done not being invited to a camp. But I understand the level of players that are in his position playing in Europe, being protagonists of those teams. But Georgi Mihailovic is an incredible player the last couple of years. They play a system where they play as a 3-5-2 or 3-4-3, which is historically difficult to break down for Orlando City, the way Orlando City likes to play. They have a, a, a guy up top in Romel Kyoto, Honduran national team player, experienced, played in Major League Soccer for a long time, 15 goals. He is so powerful and so strong, and he's a master of the dark arts. But it's very difficult to deal with that type of player. And if he's in then as a sub, here comes Kai Kamara with nine goals in the season, somebody, one of the highest goal scorers in Major League Soccer. So to have two strikers like that, it's already um, a huge advantage. And they have a very clear, as I said, very clear uh, way that they play, a very good defense, good defensive midfielders. Uh, but this is the year for them because next year they're going to lose Georgi Mihailovic, who's going to go to the to the. Uh, Bundesliga in the Netherlands. Uh, Wanyama, a former player for the Premier League, who's been the pillar in the middle of the field for them, he's going to be gone as well. And I can't remember, there's another player that is going to be gone as well, one of the key players. But So this is the year for them to get it done. And being at home in a difficult place to play, the weather is going to be, it's going to be really cold. It's going to be difficult for Orlando City. That being said, Orlando City will get Antonio Carlos back, so they'll be solid there. And Orlando City has that history of winning in decision day, on decision day, <laughs> last year versus Montreal to get to the next round, to, to get into the playoffs. And they beat Montreal there. So I think there's a little sense of revenge. It's going to be a really good game in terms of just the narratives. But on the pitch, Montreal is a really good team. It's going to be very difficult for Orlando City. But there's not a doubt in my mind that if they approach this mentally properly, if the lineup is what it needs to be, and the game plan is what it needs to be, there's more than enough to get the job done. Sunday night, 8 o'clock in Montreal, it will be cool, and Orlando City will take on Montreal opening round of the MLS playoffs. Mickey, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Take care. Miguel Guillardi, the dramatic 2-1 win yesterday to get into the playoffs. Again, they draw Montreal. They'll play Sunday night, 8 o'clock.
uh, that match in Montreal. We come back on Monday's Little Bridge Playback, something Mike and I discussed earlier on the bridge. We'll get to that next. The Bait of Sports, Mark Daniels, brought to you by our friends at Greenway Dodge. Greenway for Greenway Jeep Ram. Greenway, the only way. Uh, Matt Rule was fired as the coach of the Carolina Panthers just before. Matt Rule uh, for the Carolina Panthers was 11 and 27, went 5 and 11, 5 and 12, and 1 and 4. Uh, Matt Rule at Temple was 28 and 23. 10 and 4, 10 and 3 his last two years, then went to Baylor 1 and 11, 7 and 6, 11 and 3. Certainly turned that program around. Dave Aranda's benefited from that as the new coach at Baylor and then took $70 million from David Tepper to be the coach of the Carolina Panthers. And a lot of people praise that because Matt Rule had coached in the NFL as an assistant uh, and said, hey, great hire. The Giants wanted to hire Matt Rule. They didn't hire, they didn't get him. He got $70 million. They gave him a seven-year, $70 million contract. There is no negotiated settlement. Now, when he gets paid, I don't know if he gets the whole thing in front, Matt Rule's getting $40 million from the Carolina Panthers. He got $70 million to leave Waco to go to Charlotte. And Matt Rule can be a head coach. Now, the, the salary will offset. If he goes and gets $8 million from somewhere, then he only gets $2 million a year from Carolina. But the point is, if he doesn't, he can sit there and get the remaining $40 million. Not a bad deal. <laughs> yeah, we'll take some time off. Not a bad deal. Uh, on Mondays, we'd like to take a clip from the bridge from the weekend of football that Mike and I discussed something, and we talked about the Florida Gators who beat Missouri. And it wasn't because of a great game of quarterback Anthony Richardson. That's the clip we pulled for the bridge playback. Can I ask you a question about Florida? Yeah. as soon as, If I can ask you a question about UCF. Let me go first, since Florida played uh, on Saturday. Okay. Florida's 4-2, and two, and if you're a Gator fan, I think you can do a couple things. One, you can say, look, all things considered, probably where they should be. Maybe they end up going 8-4, and four, and should I be happy if they get to a bowl game and win nine with what Billy Napier is trying to rebuild at Florida? I think you and I think that is a realistic view for a Gator fan. Yeah. Is it possible, Mike? that Anthony Richardson is just not as good as people think. That when you peel it all back, and he may go on to be a All-American and be a, a, a high pick, and maybe we have gotten caught up in the projections of so-called quarterback gurus that have him as a mid-first-round pick when the season started, and now we've watched six games. And the Tennessee game, he showed flashes, but is it possible that he's not as good as people think? Just because you're 6'4", 220 doesn't make you a great quarterback. And maybe he's not as special. Doesn't mean he can't get better. His numbers right now are on pace to throw for less than 2,300 yards, 10 touchdowns, and 14 picks. Uh, now, it doesn't mean he can't get better second half of the season, but he does play Georgia. He does have some games the back end of the season. Maybe he puts up good numbers. But we're six games in, and you can't tell me that there's something special there yet. Maybe in a month, maybe with more snaps. But is it possible 
he's not as good as people thought. It's possible. It's possible. Um, but but, and, and I hate to I, I hate to say this because I'm guilty of it sometimes too. I mean, we do overreaction Monday every day where we overreact to things. Let's not forget the guy has still not started many games. He's, I mean, it's like it's up and down. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, I'll compare this to to UCF. Who's the real John Rice Plumley? Is it the guy we saw against SMU, or is it the guy we saw against Georgia no, Tech? No, that's I mean, a very, it, it, It's a fair question. All I'm saying is, one was projected to be a first round pick. The other yeah. is not. Yeah. I, you know. Yeah. And, and yeah. I still think it's fair on John Rice. Meaning, how does he play? The next three weeks, they play a Temple team that they should have success again. Then he uh, against. Then he goes on the road to ECU, then Cincinnati. And you want to see consistency over those games. And I think that's fair. I think in Richardson's case, fair or not, he came with first-round projections, which I didn't understand based on body of work. Okay, but that, maybe that's just the outlandishness of, of, of the people who are evaluating these things. And... and that is fair as well. That I think is maybe unfair to Anthony Richardson too. But I'm just saying, you watched the game against Missouri, yeah, and I, I didn't understand some things. I mean, I I do understand what Billy Napier did. He did the same thing that Gus Malzahn did uh, to win a game a couple of weeks ago. I'm just going to run the ball to beat Georgia Tech because right okay, now, but it, yes, I, and I understand that that's what they did in the second half. But I still don't understand, and we saw more of it. Um, in the previous game, but why doesn't he run Anthony Richardson more? Uh, you can catch the entire bridge at 96 on the game.com. Mike and I recap the NFL, the college football weekend. And, and I, I wrote about this briefly in my column, the Monday Notebook at 96 on the game.com, which I'll be click on and read. Why? Because we like the clicks. Um, I, I, I'm not picking on Anthony Richardson, the person. I'm just saying that six games in, I think it is fair to say that Anthony Richardson is a developing quarterback. This is not a finished product that looks like someone that's going to be worthy of a mid or better first-round pick, which some people took the small sample size of last season in what was a mess of a Gator season, where you were pulling for positives of a year that, you know, was not good. You're like, well, but when Richardson played, it was like, okay, you're taking like five plays and, and, and trying to tell me that he's a top draft pick where I got a Heisman Trophy winner at Alabama. I got a guy with a body of work at Ohio State. If I just start there before I add other players to it and go, no, you can't put this guy in that category. You can't tell me, well, he's going to be a you know a top 15 draft pick or a couple people projecting he could be the number one pick of the draft. I was like, wait a minute. And... If you look at the body of work in the season thus far, Anthony Richardson did not have a good throwing game against Utah. He had some nice runs, made a couple of plays, but nothing that made you go, wow, in Utah. I still think despite their loss this weekend, do you still still a pretty good football team and might beat USC this week? Um, nothing against Kentucky. I mean, they basically shut them down. South Florida didn't play particularly well. Tennessee did. Eastern Washington, again, that game was out of hand early. And this Missouri game, they threw for 66 yards and wasn't a threat uh, to run the ball. Doesn't mean he can't become something really, really good. It's just right now, six games in, 
he's not been special. He's not been special. Again, doesn't mean he can't become one. And like I was saying to Mike Gurley, and I brought up on our show here, you can't tell me that's a finished product at the end of the next six games and go, that's a first-round draft pick. Maybe he lights it up, but right now you're saying he needs 2023. Florida needs an experienced quarterback in 2023, and he needs it. Because after six games, he's big dude, looks good, but you can't go, hey, that's really, really good right there. Uh, come back, couple of items and notes and quotes for a wrap up a Monday show next. Time for the latest news, gossip, trends, and off the wall stories. Trends. Ooh. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Matt Rule, first coach, fired of the NFL. Panthers let him go earlier today. Didn't take long. The Twitter speculation has him at fill in the blank. Nebraska, Arizona State, and he'll be in demand. Not a bad gig. By the way, Carson Wentz, who throws that pick for Washington at the two-yard line. Um, just over the top, uh, a reaction. Talk about a fall, right, of an MVP candidate season. And just how fast it turned for him where, I mean, if you're a Washington Commander fan, you're like, uh, hmm, right? Pretty much. Uh, let me just click this on. So, so he in, uh, let me get it here. Bad for TV as I'm scrolling here. 2017, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Goes 11 and two as a starting quarterback. And even the next couple of years, 21 and seven, 27 and seven, TD at interceptions, nine and seven in 2019. And then since then, just in Philadelphia the last year, he led the league in picks at 15, and then Indianapolis last year and Washington this year. And it just has spiraled. And he thought he was going to turn it around uh, with Frank Reich in Indianapolis. and They pulled that plug in one year. Yeah. He's been on three different teams in three different years. Yeah. Might and, be on a fourth team in a fourth year. Right. And, and, and Washington now one and four, already four games out of first place, three games behind the Cowboys and Giants for second place in that. Uh, division. So how fast things have turned uh, there. Uh, Rashad Penny did suffer a broken leg yesterday. Ugh. Hate seeing that. Um, how successful was the Giants-Packers game? By the way, I please take this as a compliment if you're a Packer fan. Because there may be nothing else to do in the fall and winter. Because how many people traveled there? It was, and the Packers have fans beyond the state of Wisconsin. But it was a heavy Green Bay Packer crowd. Chris, people saying of all the NFL games played in London, and this is, by the way, the Giants were the last team that had not gone to London. Biggest secondary market ever for uh, tickets to get into that game was leading up to that game. That highest price, place is packed. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium has become the, their SoFi Stadium. Like, that is the... uh, Ideal Stadium and place was packed and uh, a great atmosphere. Giants beat the Packers. You have two big brands. You got Aaron Rodgers. You got and, the Giants. And uh, again, we're, uh, they're going to Germany when the Bucks and Seahawks play. Uh, coming up, that'll be in November for that. So, all right, uh, Chris, Mark, anything else you got? Cowboys Eagles next Sunday night. 
Yeah. Uh, again, we thank Chris for sitting in today. Scott celebrating his birthday. His birthday was yesterday. Worked Orlando City Games. So he's taking a day off today to celebrate his birthday, which is nice. And what nine year olds should do? Kind of extended. <laughs> it's like my kids. You know, my kids are in their mid late twenties. Oh, it's your birthday. Well, it's it's a week celebration. Why? What what what, what, what is that? Hey, I mean, if you can get away with it, why not? No, maybe maybe a month long. He deserves a, a you know a day off, and he'll be back uh, uh, tomorrow. Um, We'll be back tomorrow with a Tuesday show. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Miss any of the show, catch it on demand when it's convenient for you. Go to 96thegame.com or just go where you get your podcasts and type in the beat of sports. Uh, Thanks to Miguel Guiardo, Lino City Soccer, uh, celebrating their big win. And Aaron Shepard, the coach at Ocoee High School. If you missed that interview, that'll be posted. I hope you'll listen. Football team won a big game last week. They got a bus to go down to Port Charlotte to help people out that get impacted by the hurricane. And uh, really, really good stuff. Again, thanks, Chris, for sitting in. Uh, appreciate your time as well. Mark Daniels, The Beat of Sports.